Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. So, as I mentioned on the last episode, we will be doing something a little bit different with this one. This is kind of a rerun from uh, a Revenge of the 90s episode. I partnered up with those guys over there. They've come onto our show numerous times, and uh, you know we've done these kind of dual episodes, and they'll share ours, and we'll share theirs, and that kind of thing. So this is the first one where uh, I'm taking an episode that I worked with on theirs, because it definitely fits the show. We are looking at Nothing But Trouble, and it's, uh, it's an, um, I'll get into it, uh, you know, Steve and I and, and Fabs will get into it on the show, but it's a, you know, kind of famously, notoriously bad film from the 90s, and um, I was, I wanted to do it for our show at some point, but it just made sense to reuse this episode because the episode works really well, it's really funny, really fun, so I don't think we would have uh, been able to top it necessarily. So, this is kind of a shared episode, so if you follow those guys, you might have come across this one. If not, it's going to be totally new to you. Um, I will say I do apologize for the poor audio uh, on my end of it. Those two guys sound good because they had some solid mics going, but this was before I had bought a good mic setup for the show. So, I was just kind of working with, like, computer audio. So, uh, you can still hear me and everything, but it's just uh, not as strong and clear as usual. Beyond that, I'll just say, uh, if you haven't, Go over to Twitter, go to Facebook, and follow Revenge of 90s Podcast. They go into all kinds of 90s films, uh, both popular and obscure. That's at, at Revenge of 90s Pod. And then also follow us, if you haven't, on uh, for Uncanny Cinema on Twitter. That's at Cinema Uncanny. And obviously, if you look up Uncanny Cinema, Revenge of the 90s Podcast, you're going to find us pretty easily on Twitter anyway. Same thing, Facebook. Look them up, Revenge of the 90s. Look me up, Uncanny Cinema. Give us a follow if you would. I have been, uh, you know, adding things regularly to uh, the Twitter feed, um, and so I'd like to grow that if I could. All right, so without further ado, we will launch into the fantastic, terrible film, Nothing But Trouble. That's not good. No, that's no good. We just want to play with her. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. We won't lose you. Hi. I'm Bobo. That's Little Double. Hi. We're not allowed in the house. Is she okay? Oh, God. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Revenge of the 90s. And I apologize for the movie that we are about to talk about. <laughs> we are talking about... It's a special episode. This is our, uh, our first three-person uh, dive into the 90s. Um, we are talking about 1991's aggressively terrible nothing but trouble <laughs> um i'm steve with me as always is fabs hello and then today we have a special guest a robot butt og uh linton lewis hey who demanded that he be included in this episode <laughs> so i can only imagine <laughs> what his thoughts are on this. he's it's true. 
<laughs> he owns every VHS copy of this movie. <laughs> Lynn and I will serve as Bobo and Little Devil. <laughs> We're wearing diapers right now. Yeah, Fab showed up to this just wearing a diaper. And while that's not that out of the ordinary, I begged him to put some sh- clothes on. Yeah, man. So I have I have never seen this movie. Linton and Fabs were both HBO disciples growing up, and so they've seen this movie a handful of times. And I'd never, I'd never seen it before. I actually had never heard of it until these guys brought it up. And I have now seen it, and I've, I'm a ch- I'm a changed man. And I and while I don't know like the full effects of it yet, there's no going back know from here. <laughs> I only know it's going to be bad for me down the road. So let's just dive into this. Yeah, so um, I brought this movie up to you, I think, like a couple of months ago. And then I think you talked to Linton about it, and he was like super into it. And so that made me very excited. I saw this movie, I want to say, I don't know, I was like six or seven. Like I should not have seen this movie at six or seven. Uh, Dan Aykroyd wrote and directed and stars in it. So that should. And produced. And produced. That should tell you a lot. Yeah, that should that should put you in the mindset of like where we're going with this film. Um, the cast is like very good though. It's Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, uh, John Candy. Like it's a, a Doyle uh, Brunson Murray shows up at the end of the movie. Like oh, Brian Doyle Murray's in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he you. also gets he also gets billing in the at the beginning of the movie in like the main credits. Yeah, like he's like one of the, like the he's like right after Demi Moore, and you're like oh cool. Brian Doyle He'll Murray's in this. He weirdly shows up at the end and gets like no jokes, and they could have cast anyone on the planet to be what he is. <laughs> and he got like top billing. <laughs> oh my god! They're, I think they're just trying to like make people think it. Like if by at first glance, like Murray, oh Bill, cool. <laughs> I'll stick with this whole thing. And then you're just waiting and you're like, oh, I'll wait. No. I'll wait this out. And then you end up in Vulcanvania, and you're just like, I guess I'm. I guess I'm here. Let's let's just finish this thing. <laughs> that is a good point. I uh, I checked to see how far along I was in this movie so many times, and I feel like I was I felt like I was stuck at 35 minutes for like, so long. <laughs> this is the longest hour and a half movie I've ever seen. A lot happens. Yeah, a lot happens. You're so, yeah, you're so right though. The talent is so nuts that it's so absurd to me that it goes so far off the rails within like five minutes of the movie actually which like okay i actually thought just diving right into it that i thought like for like the first like five to ten minutes of this movie like maybe the setup of like where things are going where like up up until like chevy chase and demi moore are gonna go on their like road trip to atlantic city there's like a really good setup there like i love the dynamic between like Chevy Chase and her and the idea, like if you had just made a movie of them going to Atlantic city and like confronting this dude and like having like this rich party developers party. And like, there being like this, like you have a whole satire about like the upper class and like rich people and all that kind of stuff. Like that movie works. That yeah, That's the he, movie that you should, should have made. Yeah. And it's like Chevy Chase's sweet spot. Like he's that like lovable asshole. He's a, he writes a like financial advisor uh, column. He gives people stock tips, basically. Um, and Demi Moore is a lawyer. Uh, this is like right around the few good men where she's she's rocking the few good men haircut. But it, she is like so attractive in this movie. Like, oh, I've never. I mean, I haven't watched this movie in years, and I've never been like a big Demi Moore fan in terms of like attractiveness or anything. But like, yeah, watching this, I was like, 
wow, she is very hot in this movie. Yeah, and they yeah. have really good chemistry, like weirdly good chemistry, like throughout the movie. Which actually is really surprising because this will shock nobody, but I, I was reading like a bunch of stuff about this production and like Chevy Chase was like an unbelievable prick <laughs> to everybody. Well, that's including always the like, case. <laughs> which I mean is par for the course, but like I, I guess he was like a huge prick to like Demi Moore and would like roast her and make fun of her outfit. And like, I guess he would, I, he, cl- of course, this is Chevy Chase. He claims that he would like fight for her to wear like less revealing clothes to the, to like the production which like definitely he did not do that. Um, But he would like, he would like demean her and and, like make fun of her in front of the crew and stuff. And I guess like a crew. And also he was terrible to Dan Aykroyd, who is his friend. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I guess like uh, a couple crew members, one of the quotes was that they like threatened to like throw a brick on Chevy Jason's head. (laughs) 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 Which like, I can't believe he made it so far in his career without a crew setting up his murder on set. <laughs> well, uh, going off of the talent thing you guys are talking about, like the timing of when this movie hit too, uh, is pretty big on that because like, obviously now we associate Chevy chase movies, like if, and when he ever has a movie coming out, I mean, it's very rare, but like, you know, even the last 10, 15 years, it's like, Oh, a Chevy chase movie. Cool. But I mean, this like, <laughs> this was made to come out in 1990. It got delayed to 91. But like 1990, that's coming off the hills of Christmas vacation or heels of Christmas vacation. Uh, Chevy Chase is huge in the 80s, you know, having like huge hits, comedy hits. Dan Aykroyd is in a ton of hits in the 80s. Uh, Demi Moore, I don't know if, if she had like blown up yet. This is pre A Few Good Men, and I don't know what her necessarily like block or you know breakout role was. It wasn't this, but so I don't know if she was like an up and comer still. But John Candy, this is like, what, a year or two after Uncle Buck? Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been in a number of other, like, just after planes, trains, automobiles and stuff. So, yeah, you've got, like, heavy hitter com- comedians here in their prime. Yeah. And nothing goes right. <laughs> you could almost argue that if you look at the trajectory of everybody's careers, except for, like, Demi Moore, this almost, like, ruins <laughs> all of their careers. Like, it's <laughs> arguable that, like... I know Aykroyd had a few movies and, and I, cause like Coneheads came out after this and I know Vegas vacation came out after this with Chevy Chase and like John Candy had a couple things before he passed away in like 95, I think, or 93, maybe. I, I think um, he would have been the only one to endure this movie. Yeah. Like of the male comedians in this movie. Yeah. Everybody else. I, I would argue that like, because of the amount of money that they, that they lost on this movie and like the, uh, onset disaster that this was I think that you could probably trace this movie being the thing that like torpedoed especially Dan Aykroyd's career oh I I think Aykroyd (laughs) I mean Chase if you read like the IMDB trivia like Chase has apparently said that like it did hurt Aykroyd's career in the industry because he was responsible for all aspects of the production which makes sense like there's no one else to blame you can't be like oh I just acted in this bad movie that someone else directed or someone else wrote he did everything um, and then if you look at what he did after that, like, I mean, he, you know, he was in Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, uh, Spies Like Us, I would argue is not a very good movie, but I think it was like a pretty big hit of its day. Mm-hmm. He did a number of like fairly you know, blues brothers, obviously, but yeah, after this, it goes downhill. And the only thing I think you could kind of point to is like Coneheads, which is actually a fairly fun movie for what it is. But I think that Coneheads to me is like, Oh shit, I got to go back to something safe. 
people like Coneheads. Remember, yeah. remember that guys? <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, if you look at it, like, I don't know how many movies he starred in after like Coneheads. Yeah, not many. I mean, he he pops up in like Tommy Boy, and he'll pop up in like random spots where he'll play like an authority figure. Um, yeah. The last movie I really remember him from was like Christmas with the Cranks. I know. I keep thinking of that. Role. Yeah, um, he Adam Sandler will cast him in like supporting parts a lot, but yeah. they're pretty small. Yeah, so he goes back to the SNL well, basically from here on out. Um, and making a couple of appearance on SNL for their like 25th and 30th and 35th anniversaries and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think like the Lynn and I were just kind of like riffing on it a bit before we started recording. And like the thing about this movie is that conceptually it's actually like, I know we said that we could have written a, or we would have gone a completely different route, but if you were <laughs> to, if you were to like make this movie, you know, now the concept's pretty cool. Like the idea of doing like something that's sort of like a, a horror comedy that's like, basically playing off of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where, you know, you run into this like, un, you know, it, it, like very bizarre family that it does like these heinous things and you don't even have to like explain the logistics of the family. It's just like, yeah, here's this weirdo family in the middle of nowhere preying on, you know, travelers. That's a, I mean, from like a horror comedy standpoint, that could work. That could be pretty good. And with the talent that you had in it, I think like the concept works. It's just that like, it's it's so bad because a Dan Aykroyd basically went as far as being like I had a dream once about this and like just like <laughs> that was it and like didn't think to go any further with it and had like he's like I, I one time got pulled over and then I had some weird dreams about giant babies and diapers with two sets of titties so I guess I'll make a movie that involves both of those um, and then like then you've got the fact that like anybody who he sent the script to said it was terrible. So like John Hughes, John Hughes was like, well, I think John Hughes was the nicest because he's like, God, I only direct movies that I write. And, and like, but everybody else, like John Landis was like, this is a piece of dog shit. This is a steaming pile of garbage. Chevy Chase only signed on because it was his friend. And he was like, well, we'll fix it because we can improvise. He hated the script and was like, well, I don't know. I'll just do it. Whatever. And, like, which makes me question, like, how in the world, like, Demi Moore got involved in this movie. But so, like, everything from the start was like, oh, hey, this is going to be bad. And then also, like, the character of Bobo, the giant baby, nobody wanted to play that part. They could not cast that part. And so Dan Aykroyd had to play the part. I really and, wish I had a family member who had played Bobo. That would be I'd be so proud of them. <laughs> I mean, like. Right off the bat, if you can't find an actor desperate enough to play a like real sweaty giant baby, like that, <laughs> he's so greased up. <laughs> like the, it's like he's glistening the entire movie, and it's so distracting. Oh, it's it's awful. It's so awful. So okay. there's so many, yeah. so many things that just like right off the bat, you're like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, I know. They start off. What sucks is like you you throw that cast out there, and you're already starting off like on mile twenty of a marathon, and then right. you get you get this script, and then your legs have been cut off, so you have to crawl the remainder of the marathon, and it's just like nothing. Wor- I mean, I still love this movie because of how bad and ridiculous it is, and that's mainly from like a nostalgia standpoint. Because yeah. I grew up on John Candy. Like that was my dad and I watch like I watched Harry Crumb. 
like a hundred times with him, like Uncle Buck, Great Outdoors, all of it's like the best. This movie is like legitimately not good, but I still like love it <laughs> because I love sure. showing showing it to people and seeing their reaction to like, why was this part of your life? And now it's part of mine because <laughs> you need to be cursed with this movie. And that is why we're doing a podcast. So this movie can haunt your life and cause you and your spouse to hate each other for a week. During this, this is quarantine. the, this is the, it follows of <laughs> movies because you have to, you have to transfer it to somebody else or you get killed. <laughs> so, okay. So, so, um, okay. So Demi, uh, Chevy Chase is this like wealthy, uh, they're both wealthy, but he meets Demi Moore's character in, uh, his like apartment building. Uh, they hit it off. She lets him know, Hey, I'm going to Atlantic city. And he's like, Hey, I'll drive you. Cause like he wants to get with Demi Moore, and then sure, uh, two, of course, two, yeah, of course, I get it. Uh, two of his clients, these uh, brother and sister, like Brazilian heirs oh, to my, his fortune. Oh. I don't know, like who created them, but um, I mean, it's Dan Aykroyd, so they're insane. But they it was part of the every every element of his fever dreams apparently had to be included in this movie. And- yeah. So they they uh, they catch them in the garage before they head out, and now they're off uh, to Atlantic City from Manhattan. And it should just be an easy drive, but they surprise him with, hey, we have a picnic. Let's go some scenic-ass route. And so they use their old, like, 1991 GPS in this fancy BMW, and they get lost in uh, coal country, Vul- essentially. Vulcanvania. Vulcanvania. I just the, – the Brazilian characters are so absurd to me because they serve – I mean, essentially very little purpose. So you could basically say no purpose because you can, you could find a way to write around those characters to like get to Vulcanvania. I mean, you could make that happen, but like, I don't understand why they had to make them the most grating, horrendous characters I've ever heard. Well, they don't, they don't need to be there for the plot. They don't really do anything. And then they escape. Like it would make sense if they got killed. Yeah. Like, like that would be like, oh, okay, so this is, this is real. Like those people that we were with are dead, like a horror movie, like yeah, those right. people are gone or, you know, like a horror movie, how you have like characters around who are there simply for the body count of like, all right, well, we need to have these characters that are going to get wiped out, but they get away. So it's and, like, well, you get that with Daniel what? Baldwin and his like, yeah. Like you get the the fact that they will actually kill people from when they pull over somebody else. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing they do serve is they get John Candy's uh, character out of there. So now it's like a more even playing field for Chevy Chase and Demi Moore. Yeah. Um, but like, really, that's but all they they do. That's also funny though that you bring up John Candy's character because he, he plays two parts in this, unfortunately, <laughs> and he plays a male and female brother and sister, and the male version of John Candy's character, the cop also serves essentially no purpose. You, because what is his arc? He just is like, he brings people to this thing and to this, um, the judge, which is like, I think his grandfather played by Dan Aykroyd in like crazy makeup, which actually the makeup is like really good. It's really good. It's solid. The makeup work in this is like fantastic from like a horror movie perspective. It's super gross. Like the hot dog eating scene is like horrendous. <laughs> oh, so great. We'll talk about dinner in a little bit. <laughs> oh my God. Um, 
But like John Candy's character is like, oh, I don't like this. Like, I, I, you, you can tell he's conflicted about like basically leading people to their dooms. Yeah, but he's but, been doing it for like thirty years. Yeah, yeah, since he's been eight years old. And then also, instead of like having an arc where maybe he helps save Demi Moore and Chevy Chase, he just gets the fuck out and disappears for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and like money and bang the Brazilian woman, <laughs> and is fine. Like, we're, like doesn't pay any consequences. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Um, so- yeah. Oh, go ahead, Lynn. Oh, I was just like, because uh, you you danced around a little bit, Steve, and you mentioned like you know some of the aspects of it, like working potentially as like a horror comedy, or like some of the elements are there. And like one of the notes I wrote to myself uh, was like, so much effort is being put in such a weird, failed direction. And if it was funny, it would work, but it's not, so it doesn't. And I think right. that's the crux of it. Is like, like because I grew up watching this, and then I haven't watched it in years, but like. I think as a story, as bizarre as it is, if this movie was making you laugh consistently, you'd just be like, oh, this is fucking great because you'd be embracing the weirdness and not like turned off by everything. And the the one I would point to, because when I was reading up on it, this is kind of what they were using as their inspiration and basically why it got greenlit is Beetlejuice. Like with Mm -hmm. the idea of Beetlejuice being a phenomenon makes this movie make way more sense because Beetlejuice like on its face, if you look at what's going on in that movie, it is fucking bizarre. It is a weird movie with a lot of weird scenes, like where it'll just go like boom, 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 like all over the place, but it hits so much more often than it misses. And then Michael Keaton's great. And there's so many great jokes. So you're just along for the ride in Beetlejuice, even though it's a super bizarre movie. And that's what this is trying to be. And that's what I think executive, and you have like stuff like evil dead Two which was a big cult thing, um, you know, also a horror, movie, horror comedy. And there were some other ones. So I think they're looking at that. The studio execs are looking at that kind of stuff of like, well, Beetlejuice came out in 88, huge hit. This movie was going to come out in 1990. Um, you have Dan Aykroyd attached, John Candy attached, Chevy Chase attached. You've got Demi Moore. Like, again, I think she's probably emerging, but you know, like a sexy emerging actress. It's like on its face, this looks like it would be a hit, even if it's yeah. going to be super bizarre. It's just, it needs to be funny and it isn't. Yeah, you're right. Like you forget. It just seems like it's a silly horror movie. Once you like rewatch it, it's because it's not scary enough to just be a straight horror movie. And yeah, if you're totally right. And when you brought up Beetlejuice, I was like, oh yeah, this makes like way more sense why this movie was even greenlit. But yeah, if there are joke like good jokes every three to five minutes, and because I when I rewatched it, I legitimately didn't laugh one time. Maybe maybe there was one John uh, John Candy joke or uh, a Chevy Chase like snarky thing that made me like chuckle. But yeah, I didn't laugh. Like this movie isn't like, I, funny at all. I laughed was, a few. I laughed a few times, but yeah, I mean it's it's not much. Yeah, no. I think like the times that I did laugh it. It was basically anything Chevy Chase was doing. Like be, be, the fact that he's like a monster human being is unfortunate because if if he, and this is the reason why he doesn't get like good parts and hasn't for like nearly thirty years is because he's a, a monster. Yeah. But like it's hard to deny his like comedic timing and his ability to like draw from any situation and make it funny. Like the scene where he goes down a shoot in the house and he like sees Dan Aykroyd pull off his nose for some reason yeah. when he's get, getting ready for bed and he makes like this like really like disgusted face but he can't make a noise 
because he'd be heard. Like it's hilarious. That is it. That's the funniest part of the movie to me is like, and it's not even a line. It's just a face that Chevy chase makes. And in the context of the scene, it's really funny. And like under different circumstances, if you had jokes like that running every minute, it would be really funny. But instead you get jokes like a big explosion happening. And then one of the giant, mutant babies going like i think i just dirtied my diaper <laughs> yeah and you're like oh my god i forgot about that line and when we hit that i was like oh boy um, yeah. that's, that's a 40 million dollar yeah. that's when my wife went upstairs and was like why the fuck are you watching this like that was she was out the the couple lines like i, I think Ackroyd had a couple bits i liked i like how into the performance of the judge he is like, I think he's actually doing a pretty good job. Like, the makeup's great, and he's just, like, giving it his all. Like I said, it, it doesn't work. It goes in such a bad, weird direction, and the jokes aren't there. But I kind of like how over-the-top and zany he plays that character. But the couple lines I had noted that I liked from Chase were, like, Big Day? What is it? Halloween? Um and then another yep. one was, uh, oh, nothing hits a spot after a long day on the road, like a warm glass of Hawaiian punch. Yeah, um, and they were just like very Chevy Chase, snarky, sarcastic lines. It's like, yeah, we just need tons more of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he does some physical stuff, like when he bumps his head on like the staircase. He bumps his head on the top of that and the ceiling. He like at one point in the elevator uh, when at the beginning when he's getting ready for the trip, he's like uh, hung over and he like drops the suitcase and does this kind of like zany little like physical humor bit. Like that's stuff that I love about Chevy Chase, and like he brings enough of that. To where basically when if it was just like all Chevy Chase all the time in this movie, I think it actually probably would have been pretty good. I like Dan Aykroyd as the judge. I think you're right in that he was like definitely giving it his all. But what's crazy is like they give so much screen time to him just rambling. Like when he's at like the bench, um, when they bring in Chevy Chase and uh, everybody for like this kangaroo court thing because they were speeding. Speeding and they ran a stop sign for whatever reason in Vulcanvania. And so basically they're brought in to the court uh, and the judge comes out and basically he looks at their IDs and everything and sentence most people to death and doesn't for these guys for some reason right off the bat. But it's just like Dan Aykroyd just like rambling for like five minutes. And I was just like, why? Why yeah, is he you, doing this? And you get a lot of like background historical information about Vulcanvania that like <laughs> we don't care about. We never asked for about their stock prices, how his grandfather uh, sold like all the natural resources under their property and got swindled in like the 1800s. And it's he fought like, in World War One. Like he, he mentions that he fought in World War One 25 times. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like crazy. It's and it seems like, um, it's definitely like he's trying to give us another message about probably how like these coal communities were completely destroyed and like companies came in and like uh, sapped up all the resources and just kind of like left them to rot and burn, which is like great. And either a drama or a movie that like is a full parody of like a mining company or something like that. But this is like a horror comedy where the guys play, they're basically like you said, doing a Texas Chainsaw Massacre parody. So it like makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> I'll, I'll argue that the internal logic of the movie, they, there's some reason for it there. I mean, the the swindling thing ties in with the, his hatred of bankers. That's so true. That, so there's that. And then the, uh, the, the coal fire stuff, you know, ends up paying off as a Chekhov's gun at the end when everything blows up. So, I mean, yeah, it's not like well handled, 
But I think that information is there like to serve some kind of purpose. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I buy that. Um, so yeah, they, they sit down, uh, for dinner. Uh, so they're going to miss their big Atlantic city meeting. And, <laughs> um, I, so is I there a re- go ahead, so, okay. So wait, all, right, well, I was, all right. So hold that thought. My question is, is there, uh, did I miss something as to why that he doesn't kill everybody immediately? Like the judge, um, when John Candy brings them in, he says like, "There's no drugs, there's no guns. They weren't drinking. They're clean." He's basically just trying to get them to let them go. And I think right. he likely would have, based on the way it starts out. And Demi Moore's trying to like, "Hey, yeah, we'll do whatever you want, Judge." And then yeah. Chevy Chase is just being his real life assholeness, but on screen, <laughs> right? And so that like gets <laughs> him to like. They had stopped filming that <laughs> going on. So that gets him to like punish them. But I think like, I think the logic of it is supposed to be, they aren't just like wantonly murdering people. It's like, Oh no, we'll, you know, we'll kill yeah. like you're driving through our community and you're doing drugs and you're bringing guns. Like, yeah, we're going to kill you. But like they let digital underground go, um, which is <laughs> yeah. a great scene by the way, but like digital okay. underground presumably wasn't doing drugs, I guess. Uh, um, yeah, that was shocking that they had no <laughs> drugs in their limo. But so like that, that I think evidence like that he's, he does see himself as like a justice of the peace and it's not just wantonly murdering people. It's this kind of like, Oh no, these are bad people. Yeah. And so like, I think he wasn't necessarily qualifying Chevy Chase's group as just inherently bad from the get-go. But as it like kept going, he's like, oh yeah, okay, you're all kind of bad uh, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. that, that would be my answer. Okay. Yeah, and we get that kind of later when they get stuck in the attic and we see like uh, a biker gang goes missing, Hari Krishna has gone missing, it's Nazi, Nazi scientist has gone missing. So it's like you can see like, oh, they're picking people that they view as bad or evil. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa, of course, is like a victim of their funhouse. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that was kind of like, and then we see that later. Um, we'll get into the dinner scene in a second, but we see that Daniel Baldwin makes an appearance where they um, they he's drunk driving with like three other people. There's drugs, cocaine, like meth, like so much meth, <laughs> like a giant bag of meth. Uh, he pulls a gun on John Candy's character, and you see like the extent that they'll go. He presses a button. There's like a little conveyor belt that shoots them outside, puts them on this makeshift, um, uh, like roller coaster. Roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. And then they go to this thing. It's like a giant chomper called Mr. Bone Stripper. And they go through (laughs) it and it spits their bones out like giant, giant spinal cords, like all these skulls. (laughs) Like, and there's a pile of bones. So they've been doing this for a while. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know uh, I, one of the things I read about this was that everybody on the crew really liked working on this movie because Dan Aykroyd said yes to everything that the set designers asked. So like what you're about to talk about with the dinner scene, like that like train set thing where like the train set is like delivering the disgusting food and like just like oh, every Mr. Bone Stripper, I think, was somebody's suggestion. Yeah, I think somebody was just like, hey, what if we did this? And Dan Aykroyd was like, yeah, OK, why not? So, I mean, I think like, I think for it's, you know, it's too bad because like, I think Dan Aykroyd just being like a nice guy had the best of intentions with a movie like this, but like, yeah, you're, we've mentioned it, but like, there's so many threads at play here that it just got way out of control. Like, how does a movie like this that had a $40 million budget go over budget? Like they they like went $5 million over. 
That's crazy. Yeah, um, in 1990. Well, and like Dan Aykroyd, like losing control of it all and it becoming kind of a giant mess. Like as much as he's a great comedic performer, I mean, like one of the best SNL like ever produced. It's not terribly surprising if you like dig into some of the like Ghostbusters stuff, because like Ghostbusters, we know is like, you know, super classic movie and people love it. Um, It's got great talent at the core. But if you read about like the original making of the first one, it all just like with nothing but trouble. It all came from an idea that Dan Aykroyd had. It was his baby. And he originally wanted it with him and John Belushi. And his original concept was not this grounded horror comedy that Ghostbusters is where it's like, oh, it's like they're working class schlubs and they're like catching ghosts like they're raccoons and stuff. It wasn't that at all. That came in way later. It was originally like basically him and John Belushi were like paranormal investigator slash exterminator kind of things but they were like going between dimensions and you would have like these <laughs> right. like nether worlds with like, you know, like lightning storms happening. Like there was not going to be any kind of like real life, like grounding of, Oh, we're in a physical space and there's a firehouse and there's this lady that we met. It wouldn't have been like any of that. It would have just been this like Dan Aykroyd, just like going out into the <laughs> wilderness of the bazaar. <laughs> but here's the thing. Then Ramus got involved and Ivan Reitman got involved and they looked at it and they're like, okay, this is fucking nuts, but there are cool <laughs> elements in here that we can develop into a much better thing. And then they reworked the script and that's where actual Ghostbusters came. But the, his original, I've never read his original draft. I don't know if it's like available online, but from what I understand, his original script is just fucking bonkers. So him doing this movie is really not all that surprising since there was no one to stop him. I think so, it would put you in it would put you in like a straight jacket in a padded room. <laughs> like anybody who's ever read Dan Aykroyd's original Ghostbusters <laughs> script is never heard from again. <laughs> so do you think this is like he thinks this is a totally normal like courtroom drama that just like got away from him? <laughs> I think we have to we that's the thing is like I think we just the only lesson to be learned here is that we just have to stop letting Dan Aykroyd make movies based on his fever dreams that's yeah. the only or 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 it's either don't let him make it or you bring in somebody else to help rein it in like I, like a ghostbusters I, situation like if there was somebody else involved to look at the script and be like hey actually there's some cool bits here and here what if we just made it good yeah like that's it's that same concept you, know? do you think if like ivan reitman and harold ramus got involved in this movie this would be great i think this movie like would have been a like super like super weird kind of semi Beetlejuice hit. Like, I think this movie could have been really great. Oh, there's no doubt with the amount of talent involved. Like it's such a gross misuse of like, especially John Candy, I would say that I, I, it, it like angered me to watch this and be like, so you took John Candy, you removed the John Candy that we know and love from the equation completely. And then replaced him with like a mute, female John Candy like, <laughs> like we don't even get John Candy as a woman talking which like I guess could be fun in itself despite like the kind of like in today's context it's really more offensive than anything um, but I mean like you could have made it work in the movie but instead you completely strip out any chance for him to be funny by just being like no you don't get the talk <laughs> 
But anyway, the dinner scene. <laughs> uh, the dinner scene. So that, yeah. So uh, there's some weird. I I kind of put it together last night. So you see throughout, it's like a total funhouse uh, type house. There's the Mister Bone Stripper. There's the judge gets lowered uh, to the bench from his bedroom. Uh, so it has this like little conveyor thing. All these weird little like homemade strange things. There's at dinner. There's a basically a train that goes around the table uh, like a souped up lazy Susan with condiments. And you find out that uh, when the judge is giving his accolades and the scene prior that he has an engineering degree. So I think he's the one who actually built all these funhouse things. Like he designed. Yeah. Them. I never thought he, about that before. When you pointed that out, I was like, Oh yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah, I literally like heard like engineering. And then uh, my wife was like, well, like who built all this stuff in his house? I'm like, Oh Oh my God, he did. That's crazy. Like that's okay. That makes sense. Um, so they didn't have to get an outside contractor. So they didn't have to kill somebody. <laughs> right. Um, like, why do you want me to build something called Mr. Bone Stripper? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So then we meet John Candy as, um, as, as a woman, she wheels out the dinner and this like crazy, it looks like, I don't even know what it was supposed to be. It was like, look like a souped up car engine that like cooks food. Um, and like, oh, you're paying uh, way more attention to this than I was. <laughs> serves these hot dogs that are just like appallingly disgusting. Um, ants on a log, which is like, I mean, obviously it's just like raisins with, but uh, I like that. It was like, why, why would the, like you consider, like you already go so far as to make like a horrendous looking hot dog that you eat in like, like a piece of white bread with like disgust with like condiments and like Dan Eckert eats it really disgusting and he gets it all over his face and stuff. But what's like the inherent disgusting nature of Hawaiian punch and ants on a log? Like those seem fine. Like why, yeah. would, why didn't they, why don't they up the stakes and go like, well, I think Oh, supposed this- to be actual ants. Like, I don't think they're supposed to be like the kids, like, Hey kids, here's ants on a log. I think like they're supposed to be like, here's some dead ants. They're on this. Like, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. It looked like raisins to me, but I don't know. <laughs> I think yeah. they just served them like legit peanut butter, celery, and raisins. I'd be psyched for that. Yeah, I'd fill up on that. Like, yeah, and like they and like he he like pumps the he like I don't know uh, thing into the can of Hawaiian punch and like pours himself a glass and like Chevy Chase does have the funny line about like a warm glass of Hawaiian punch, but also at the same time like warm Hawaiian punch isn't that bad. Like it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Like yeah, what's so bad about this? Yeah. Uh, because you got to think like the tap water in that town is like disgusting. Like I'd rather have Hawaiian punch out of like a gas, like nozzle thing. than they're like, whatever Brown goop comes out of the sink. Right. A sealed can of Hawaiian punch is like not the worst thing that's going to happen to you today. And so then at the dinner, um, we get some backstory about Vulcanvania, uh, but then the Brazilian brother and sister, they just like have had it. They escape out the window. The There's a female officer who's like also one of the cousins. She's like the worst shot in the world. Like she can't hit any, like she has numerous times <laughs> to everybody in this movie. She can't hit a goddamn thing. But for, and like, she has a Uzi through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Everything she does is like, hey, go to the next room. I'm going to hold the Uzi on you while you do it. Like it's never like... <laughs> do anything uh but yeah they escape they swim across like a pond of shit um yeah. and i believe it was a moat of shit a moat of shit it's disgusting <laughs> um demi moore and chevy chase use this chance to also try to escape but they get caught by female john candy uh and put in a bedroom where they're locked for like the remainder of the night and the brazilian uh brother and sister they get out of the moat of shit 
and John Candy, male John Candy is there waiting for them. Um, and he agrees to help them. They're like, Hey man, you've not been on a vacation. Like we have tons of money. And he's like, you know what? You're right. Why the fuck am I working in Balkanvania when I can just get a bunch of Brazilian money and like hang out with this, a very attractive Brazilian woman. It's absurd to me that there isn't like you have a movie that has Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy, and you completely eliminate John Candy from the equation for like most of the movie, like how they don't, there's that one interaction when John Candy as the cop uh, stops Chevy Chase and they have like a really boring interaction um, when he like brings him in. But I can't believe that there aren't more like, how do you not utilize the comedic talent between the three of them more and it's also unfortunate that like Dan Aykroyd gets Dan Aykroyd has no chance to ever just be Dan Aykroyd in this. Like I, it's, if they had done a dual thing where Dan Aykroyd plays like a normal dude and then also the judge, that would be cool because I'd want to see more of that. But like, then they have to put Dan Aykroyd under a second character, a second like giant thing of makeup and turn him into one of the giant unexplained mutant babies, Bobo. So like they just complete <laughs> other than like Chevy Chase doing Chevy Chase things, everybody's like completely misused. I know. So, we, so I read that on one. Of, I mean, this is like IMDb trivia. So, I mean, it may or may not be true, but I read that like apparently Aykroyd did want to play the banker guy, you know, financial, which guy. makes sense. That makes and, sense. Like, he wanted to play him and the judge. So kind of a, you know, Eddie Murphy type deal, but the studio wanted like Chevy Chase in there and which like, on paper makes sense of like, all right, well, we'll get another big star and, you know, you can still be in a major role here. Uh, as for like candy being pushed away, I mean, he's banking on, Oh, it's a man in a dress. That's hilarious. So that's where he thinks like, it's going to be super funny. But like you've said, like, you know, he's mute and John candy, like was a great line deliverer. So you've removed his ability to do that. Yeah. Like John Candy could do physical comedy too, but he was never like a Chris Farley. So like, you know, you're kind of limited there. Um, and John Candy also did like great character work and like your yeah. character is very limited. Like she's a mute woman. That's all we get. Whereas like the other guy you say they usher off, which is true. You, they don't give him anything funny to do. He's uh, like a completely straight laced character. Yeah. So it's like you basically have just like, like you've said, wasted John Candy in both roles. Here's how you fix it real quick. You get rid of the Brazilian brother and sister. You have Dan Aykroyd play a third character, a sleazy attorney who's you, you get rid of the fact that um, Chevy Chase and Demi Moore don't know each other. Dan Aykroyd and John Candy are part of the firm with them. They're all traveling to Atlantic City together. You make Chevy, you make Dan Aykroyd a sleazy, like great Dan Aykroyd character. And you make John Candy like a nervous accountant who's part of like their firm. They're on their way to a business trip now. You, you then have John, you can keep all the other John Candy characters and Dan Aykroyd characters. And you can now kill two of the characters. You killed nerdy John Candy and you kill sleazy Dan Aykroyd, then you get Dan Aykroyd and John Candy playing like these awesome versions of themselves. You get them all the way through the dinner scene and then you can kill them off then. And then that way we at least get like a straight, like a, a, a non, um, because like Dan Aykroyd is like going balls to the walls, playing the judge super straight and he's a villain. 
John Candy is a mute woman in, in one of his characters, and he's playing a straight-laced cop in the other. So you're never getting them like unbuttoned as like the funny versions of themselves. And yeah. you have a really funny back and forth, like with those two characters. You get rid of the like the nonsense Brazilian characters and that entire subplot, and you keep the like you you keep the cast all in house and like it, it, I think it'd then be funny. It's like, Oh my God, there's this like crazy ass movie. John Candy plays three characters in it. Dan, Dan Aykroyd is playing three characters in it and you're getting the best versions of them interspersed with like the straight late up villain versions too. So that's what I, I would do to immediately fix it. I think, I think that's like a similar idea to what, I would suggest um, because that, that works. And, and then the other option would be that you could make either Dan Aykroyd or John Candy be the ex-boyfriend that Demi Moore is trying to go and meet up with in Atlantic city. Like they spend a lot of time talking about this character, but he never makes an appearance. And so yeah. you, if you were to find some way to bring that character and maybe his assistant or something to that uh, Vulcanvania, like, somehow all the all the parts are ending up in that town yeah they get their phone call and they call them and they show up yeah that would have been awesome yeah like you could you could make it work somehow i feel like you could bring those characters into the fold but as long as you were to just eliminate the brazilian couple or the brazilian brother and sister that would have been fine because like you spend you spend way too much one second was way too much time spent on screen for these characters when you could have like been like well i want to see more of like the other talent that you're telling me is in this movie. Another thing that, as you guys were talking, popped in my head, like back when you're mentioning that candy gets, you know, kind of shoved off screen is for his character. I mean, you would need him to be funnier. Like you already have a sarcastic bastard with Chevy chase. So you can't do that with John Candy's straight lace thing. So I don't know what angle you take to make him funny necessarily in the context that we're watching. But if you have it be where he doesn't leave, but he turns on the family that becomes a much more interesting movie and a lot of comedic potential because then it's like, he's, he's an inside man. He knows how to do stuff, but the family's against him. There's betrayal aspects going on. I mean, obviously you still want to have jokes. That's important. And that's missing from all of this, but (laughs) it, it keeps John Candy in the mix and it keeps, it makes him turn from being on the bad side to the good side, but he's still there and he's trying to help Chevy Chase to be more escape for, you know, they could be the ones telling him like, oh, you need a vacation and blah, blah, blah. But like, keep him there and have the family be pitted against him. And it becomes more interesting. At least he's still around. That's what I thought. That's where I thought this movie was going. I thought like they were setting it up for him to turn on the family. And I was thinking like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I guess, you know, he'll be a part of this escape plan or whatever. That's going to be obviously hatched. And then yeah, he just goes off with the Brazilian uh, brother and sister, and he's never heard from until the final two two minutes of the movie, which is disappointing. So yeah, yeah. So then you're okay. So that after the dinner scene, they're stuck in a bedroom. Yeah, and, and like Demi Moore has to do like some bizarre work where she can't control herself sexually, so she's making out with Chevy Chase, and then <laughs> has to go jump in the bed to get away from him because she's like. I don't know, too horned up or whatever. And so then they end up, they, a random door opens and because of, is it the judge behind or John, John, John Candy is trying to help him escape. Okay. So yeah. So he says like, good luck. And he like opens a door and it kind of like leads to this fun house sequence where they go into the attic and they see like, which actually is like a pretty cool scene where, you know, you mentioned the, the 
different groups that over the years have been ended up here and, and died here and they have all their like licenses hanging and stuff like it's it's like a scene in texas chainsaw where like she ends up in the kitchen and like there's all the body parts and you get this you know you see the sinister scope of what what had happened and i i do like the jimmy hoffa joke like i'm a sucker for jimmy hoffa jokes so <laughs> i thought that was like a that's like a fun nod like you were you're totally right though that like the 90s was like the jimmy hoffa renaissance of of trying to find out what happened to him yeah yeah every every almost every movie had like a jimmy hoffa joke or like reference. Um, yeah. So then they're in the, they're in the attic and a, like, uh, they find like a trap door thing. That's like a slide that they can go down. Uh, they go down it, but then they get separated and Chevy Chase character ends up in this pile of bones with a hole in the wall where he can like see the judge's chamber. So he can see him like peel his nose off. And to me more of it ends up, uh, in the junkyard outside. And so, yeah, we get two insane, things that are about to happen in this movie. The most insane thing might be what happens to Demi Moore in that she meets the giant mutant babies. So again, once again, and, and I don't know that I necessarily needed an explanation for like <laughs> their, their existence. Cause this is like, you know, Texas chainsaw massacre, but Steve Dan wants Ak- to read the tie in novels that uh, <laughs> go in depth on Bobo and little devil. Yeah. The spinoffs of Bobo and little devil I hear are great. Um, but yeah, so now you, then she meets up with these two giant fricking babies. Um, one of which is played by Dan Aykroyd and they kind of keep her hostage and they're like, yeah, they just sort of are there. Like they don't really they serve- treat her like a babysitter almost. Yeah. Like kind of like a buddy. Cause she's like playing cards with them and stuff. You know, she's, it's she plays it as like a ploy that she's going to escape to because she's going to like play off of the fact that they're babies and like convince them to let her go or whatever. But like, really they just are there just to be like, like to just like offend my, my eyes. To <laughs> so, <like her. laughs> so I mean, I, I like Fabs and I've talked about, we've, we've both watched this movie multiple times growing up. I haven't come back to it in years, uh, which I haven't mentioned before, but I, I do want to put it out there that my dad just legit loves this movie and owns it on DVD. <laughs> so, uh, he's, he's the one. He's the one. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but anyway, but yeah, I haven't watched it in years, but like rewatching it, like, you know, obviously it's super weird once they hit Vulcanvania. I mean, everything up to that point is just kind of like standard comedy junk to get you toward whatever the plot is. But yeah, once Vulcanvania hits, you get like weird, 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 weird. And, you know, and we're reacting to it. It's not funny, but it's going in weird directions. But man, like the note that I wrote for myself, like when we hit Bobo and Little Devil, especially thinking of someone who's seen it for the first time, it was like, am I dying? Is this my brain firing its last synapses? Like it's just impossible to believe that the movie takes this turn. No, it's like you're going like it's immediately like someone hits the warp speed button because not only do you get Bobo and Little Devil, but within like a five minute sequence, then you get the uh, scene where uh, Tupac and and his group of like hip hop his hip hop band are uh, in front of the judge and he lets them go but not before they have to play like a concert. And so So, then there's, there's a hip hop show like an hour into the movie. That seems pretty cool, by the way, I I will support (laughs) that scene. So I'm going to say a couple of things. 
as a kid <laughs> first as a kid seeing it i think it was easier to like be like oh okay these guys are like giant babies like whatever like because in the 90s especially sure. it was like super strange stuff on tv so it wasn't that weird but in 2020 like my wife and i are in the middle of watching ozark for the first time so like you know more mainstream highbrow stuff than like nothing but trouble and so for her as an adult woman she sees them for the first time and is like, what the motherfuck is happening? Why are they <laughs> all here? Because even though this is like, they're a weird Texas Chainsaw Massacre type family, they go so far beyond like everything we've seen from the family that it doesn't make any logical sense that they would be part of this family. Cause she, and so she's asking me a million questions like, so wait, are they mutants? Like, why are they part of the family? Like, why are they stuck outside all the time? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, with everything else, that she had seen because uh, she gets to see John Candy dressed as like for a wedding. She gets to see the guy, judge take his nose off. And still that was so strange that it didn't exist. It shouldn't have existed in the realm of this film to her. So I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine watching this movie for the first time as an adult. The other thing is I'm going to nominate the 10 minute stretch where we meet Bobo and little devil. The judge takes his nose off and Digital Underground performs as the weirdest 10 minute stretch in any film that exists in the world of cinema. There are so many highs I, and lows. Like I, I, I you you have my vote. And then well, then you can if you tack on the extra two minutes, there's a wedding sequence between Chevy Chase and John Candy as a woman, too. Where yeah. where then the hip hop group that is still there uh, plays the music for their wedding. So like you had, you tack on that and you watch Chevy chase and John Candy make out. So if you, you've gotten, (laughs) if you add that to it, I mean, you it's so like, there's so much to it, but like the thing that that whole stretch would have worked if any of it was funny. It's just like, it's just a bizarre acid trip of a sequence where like Bobo and little devil, there's never anything that they do. That's like funny. They're like, they're all like just covered in like grease and it, they're glistening in all of the shots. So you're just like, well, and what? And their like, bodies, like they're not even presented like human. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, like it'd be one thing if like, all right, these guys are supposed to be like, you know, mentally incapacitated or whatever. Cause if you compare it back to like Texas chainsaw, Leatherface is not all there, you know, and he acts animalistic and acts bizarre at times, but he's still like, proportioned like a human being and he's like wearing you know like a costume that makes sense to him but yeah like what fabs was saying of like nothing up nothing in the movie prepares you for that switch because prior to that you have the female cop cousin who's like effectively normal but just sadistic you've got john candy's cop who's just like straight laced and apparently believes in the law, but is fine with like murdering people. But again, (laughs) these are just like essentially normal people who are, you know, on the spectrum of evil. Um, You've got John Candy and drag, which is like, okay, yeah, that's goofy. But you know, yeah, there could be this big woman that looks like that. Sure. And then you've got the judge who's supposed to be like 106, which is in this out there kind of Mr. Burns territory. The makeup's great. And like you kind of just buy into it, like, all right, we're kind of in a goofy comedy. But yeah, yeah. then you hit Bobo and Little Devil. Like those characters, if they were just like basically like part of the family, but they're like maintenance dudes, if they were just like kind of sleazy maintenance dudes that hung out outside, it would have stayed inside the realm of stuff. 
But uh, yeah, but instead they make them literally just these giant deformed. I mean, when we say for those who have not watched this, when we say giant babies, we mean it. They have (laughs) bodies proportionate roughly to babies. They are wearing diapers and then they have like a little baby Huey like thing on their head, like a little like alpha, alpha sprout. And then they're they got these big chubby cheeks like they are clear, like the art director was given the note of make them babies <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, like six underlines underneath it <laughs> but then i'd have to assume that this art director hadn't had never actually seen a baby and it was like he was creating the characters from secondhand like knowledge of like what a baby was they're like do they have five nipples i have no idea i really wish and, and i would have gone as them for halloween and she could have been the judge at ou and we would have like been arrested I no i would have gone as De, i would have gone as demi Moore. Oh, with the i white. would have been the demi Moore. yeah and like the hot white dress <laughs> which actually is a pretty good costume it, it is and and that's actually like that's a pretty fashionable outfit like that outfit like would would it works now it's yeah it's kind of like a romper type thing it's very cool yeah yeah, and then like Demi Moore, we haven't even really talked about much in this. Like, I actually think Demi Moore. I mean, she's not giving she's not giving like a ton to do comedically in this, but like of what she gets, I think she does like a pretty good job of it. And you can like definitely see that she's got chops that are far beyond whatever this movie's giving her. Yeah. Um, and in like a again like better circumstances and in a better movie, like I think she'd be completely at home in a movie like this. I I get the feeling she's in this movie because like she wanted to do a comedy and like yeah. if, if they were like sight unseen, Hey, do you want to be in a comedy with like three of the biggest comedic stars of the eighties? You would do it without even seeing the script. Oh yeah. And yeah. then within like a week of being on set, you're like, I've made a huge fucking error. I, <laughs> like, think, I, I think the rationalization people were probably using during the movie was like, I'm sure ghostbusters was a weird experience. Like that's, I, I like guarantee you like, Maybe not the scenes of Bobo and Little Devil, but like all the other stuff, I bet they were like, oh, well, I'm sure Ghostbusters, like there was weird stuff that happened on that movie and it would felt strange, but it's probably, it's going to be just like Ghostbusters. We're probably going to get a sequel made because they set it up for a sequel. And so I'm, because I, I, as I was watching this, I was just thinking like, man, I would have loved to have worked, worked on this production just to like, it sounds like it was great. Yeah. I mean, other than like Chevy Chase terrorizing everyone, it sounds like if you like worked on it and had like creative ideas, you could just like walk right up to Dan Aykroyd and be like, yeah, I want to do this. And he'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. Why that not? Makes sense. So I, I just looked up to be more because I was curious of like where this falls in her filmography. Um, and prior to this movie, um, she doesn't have a whole lot of things that we would say are like huge hits. Like, I mean, she was in St. Elmo's Fire and uh, One Crazy Summer, which I think both, like, did some decent business in their day. But I think yeah. were, like, smaller hits, and she was, like, probably kind of an offshoot of the Brat Pack or, you know, seen as part of that. But if you look at a lot of what she'd done, it's not stuff that I've even heard of. So I don't think they were, like, huge movies. This movie came out, unfortunately enough for her, the year after Ghost which I completely forgot about. So oh, that, is, that is her watershed moment of like becoming a big star. But this movie was supposed to come out in 1990, but got delayed. So I bet she and her agents are like looking at it. Like you're saying like, Oh, these are some of the top comedians that are working and they want you. And this could be your Beetlejuice kind of thing. You could be Gina yeah. Davis or whatever. Um, and ghost 
probably looks a little bit more of a shaky project compared to this. Like, I mean, Patrick Swayze was like a, you know, a star in his day. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, like, I don't know if she had had huge film successes, but comparatively on paper, Ghost like could go either way. Mm-hmm. And this one seems right. like, oh, this could be like a big comedy hit. So yeah, Ghost must have been her watershed moment because after that, she's in A Few Good Men, A Decent Proposal, Disclosure, uh, then The Juror, Striptease. So yeah, Ghost is when she hit, but this was like, I think her and her agents like, oh, you got to be in this because this could be good for your career. I want to interview her and just only ask her questions about this film. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's yeah. before her, like her issues with like substance where it got like very bad. Like she probably like, because she said in several interviews, like some of the stuff she's made, like she doesn't even remember making it. Um, but I think this is like pre all of that. And so she probably has like very vivid, like crazy memories from this movie. So what you're saying is, Fabs, nothing but trouble drove Demi more to substance abuse. You heard <laughs> it, it here have. first, folks. It might have, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she spent a lot of time with Dan Aykroyd and the other guy as a little double, like, in that makeup. That would be enough to warp anybody's reality. That's true. She probably just <laughs> needs something to take the edge off and then just, like, progressed from there. So, like, yeah, to forget the nightmares of Dan Aykroyd dressed as a giant baby, like, getting his, like, grease all over her. But what's weird, like what's weird and cool is she is really good in this movie. Like she, her character is like super yeah. earnest and she's like really smart. And so it's awesome. Like, cause she's, I, I know Chevy Chase like literally saves her life, but she's, she's the smartest character in the film. And she's the, like without her, the, everybody else would have been killed like pretty quickly in this film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she does get like, she does a good job with the shit she's given, but then, um, so Digital Underground performs, and uh, they start leaving, and Chevy Chase tries to make a run for it, and it's it's over for him. Like, he's he's hurt the family, he's hurt uh, female John Candy, and so now... Um, but isn't he, tech- he... That's his wife now, right? Like, legally? Yes, yeah. that is legally his wife. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, he... Uh, he gets sent to Mr. Bone Stripper. Yes, yeah. But then, like weirdly, it just blows a like. Oh uh, yeah, it's 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 a very I, uh, Deus Ex Machina. Oh, the machine's broken. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. cable or something snapped, and so he goes through the bone stripper, but he doesn't get his his bone stripped, so he just goes flying through the the thing and just comes out the other end fine. So yeah, now he's out in the junkyard, um, and they're trying to lure him back, and so they they have this giant like guillotine type thing. And they're going to kill Demi Moore's character. So he has like five minutes. It doesn't really look like in that time he formulates any sort of a plan. He's just like kind of running around and like, you're like, <laughs> oh, I think he has a plan. And he like, his eyes are telling you he has a plan. But then he's like looking like with 10 seconds left and he's like, oh, stuff that will blow up. Perfect. My plan. And yeah, he, he really, he really like runs it down to the wire. Like when it comes down to, he's going to like roll this barrel and blow stuff up. Like at that point he could have just walked out while the judge is counting down from 10 to be like, Oh, Hey, you got me. And he could buy them an extra 30 seconds, but he's like, no, I'm just going to let this play out. You know, maybe she dies. Maybe she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big distracting explosion. He frees her and they're able to escape. And then, and then the, okay, yeah. And then I, I was like, I saw that part and I was like, oh, okay, good. This movie's like done. 
So <laughs> thank God. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, finally, like I made it through. Like this movie was like bad, but I'm done. I can go like do something else. And then and then it fades away like as the sun is rising. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Like there's your final shot. And like the, I'm waiting for like the credits to come up with some cool, funny 90s beat, you know, uh hip beat uh that hip hop song or whatever that like starts. And no, 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 no. There's another like 15 minutes to this. So then they go and talk to one of the stars of this movie, allegedly in Brian Doyle Murray. Um, <laughs> and it's also it. the, uh, the dad from walk hard, whatever that actor's name is. The yes. immortal classic yes. walk hard. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they go to the, so Demi Moore and uh, Chevy chase uh, get on a train. They, they get away and then they go to like the cops of some town and I guess like a neighboring town or something. It's not like abundantly clear. And they tell the whole story. And so the cops are like, Oh, all right, we're going to go get these guys. And so like they bring the friggin' national guard for some reason. And which again is like super crazy because like, okay, the ultimate thing here is that they actually know the judge and they know everything he's been doing. And so there's a bee's nest. (laughs) The bee's nest behind you. (laughs) And so they carted everyone out for some reason, like carted like the entire national guard out to like trick Chevy chase and Demi Moore when really it, it would have been fine to just bring the two cops. Yeah. yeah. Like there was no real reason to bring all these who like a lot of these troops then get killed in like the giant explosion that happens underground at that point. So we got to go through a, We have to go through a second escape of the facility of the like, Junkyard, and they can do this like again. Millions on their budget if they don't have that stupid fucking scene because they destroy the entire set. Like they destroy all the property, so I'm sure that that whole sequence costs a lot of money. Like it couldn't not have. It's just like, what's the payoff of having like the town, like, know about it? And I, I mean, because I, I think it goes back to that the kind of Beetlejuice thing of like if this were funny we would roll with it and be like ah oh, mm-hmm. yeah, we got it you know yeah. they got yeah, them yeah. kind of deal like like it you know there is just this ridiculousness of like it's not just this group of crazies it's like the state is aware and condones it like could work yeah. really well for a black comedy but again we ain't laughing so <laughs> yeah. yeah well and then it gets into like probably the most like egregious moment of the movie is the very end where so <clears throat> they escape and Chevy Chase and Demi Moore are okay um, they're not I'm glad, together I'm glad that you called the, the end egregious because I 1000% agree and yeah. have since I was a kid because and and, and it, yeah like you said again if this was if it was a funny movie this might pay off um, if like if it was more cartoonish in its humor this would definitely maybe pay off but so he's he's watching the news report about like the big explosions that that like rocked Vulcanvania, and then the news report goes live on the scene, and like lo and behold, the judge is alive, and then he pulls up Chevy Chase's license, and he's like, "I'm gonna see you soon," and um, Chevy Chase is like, "No, you're not," and then he like zips out of the room and <laughs> leaves a Looney Tunes shaped Looney Tune hole in the wall that's shaped like him, as if he like. Bugs bunnied his way out of the apartment yep. and like went through the wall and you hear like him like zip like out the thing and then the movie just ends. <laughs> and it was like there's no doubt they had no clue how to end this movie. Well, they were like I- on the IMDb page, I'd never read this before, but they said that uh, according to that, they had trouble coming up with an ending. 
and that 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 they didn't like what they had, but that that was the best thing they could come up with. <laughs> but here's the thing: even as a kid, as much as I like would watch this as a kid and just kind of roll with it, as Fab's talked about, where you're just like, "Oh yeah, giant mutant babies, whatever." Um, like even as a kid, when that part happened at the end, like I wouldn't have used this language in my head, but the basic sentiment would have been like, "That's fucking stupid." Just because, like, the movie <laughs> yeah. up to that point, like it's cartoonish. But it's not a cartoon. It's like right. like you could get away with that in like Roger Rabbit, where there's like literal cartoons in that movie. But like you know, you can't like you're just cr- it's like the Bobo and Little Devil thing. You're crossing a boundary that I feel is there, and you're doing it at the very end. And I guess the logic is, well, we're crossing this boundary, and it's going to be crazy. We're going to go even further, and this is our big punchline joke. But it's just like, why? What is this? Yeah. It's right. like yeah, it's just like the dumbest thing you could do to end the movie. I think. Yeah, yeah it, like it makes of all no the sense. options. Oh, go ahead, Fabs. I, I was just say, yeah, it makes it makes no sense. Like, I don't know why you can just end it on him screaming and then like go into his mouth and then it goes black. Like, yeah, just, it, just yeah, something just something simple. Yeah, just or end it end it even on just the judge who's just like wiggling the license. Yeah, you know, and like that you don't even have to cut back. There are like two hundred thousand other options, and none of them should have been the Looney Tunes ending of this movie. Because then it just that like I'm I'm happy the movie's over, but then like I'm given one last like stab in the gut. That's just like oh man, like, like now my like I got one more groan out of this movie. So, question for you guys. I was just thinking about this like a, a couple minutes ago. Um, so we talked about how the judge takes his nose off, and uh, when they're at dinner, there's like a close up of the nose, and Chevy Chase is like realizes, oh, that looks like a penis. Now, is oh yeah, he, yeah, does he have a chopped off dick that he's just is sitting on his nose, or does his nose because he he doesn't have a nose anymore? It's just like the bones underneath. And he puts something on, so it's like a nose cover. But is he using an actual like head of a penis as like a makeshift nose? So if we're diving deep into the logistics of this movie, um, it, it might get dicey. But my interpretation is, in any other point in the movie, the judge's nose looks like, quote unquote, normal. Like, I mean, it looks like a crazy old man, you know, uh, old age makeup nose. But um, it's only in that one scene where Chevy Chase in the dinner scene. He sees it and it's literally shaped. They've changed the makeup sculpt. Okay. okay. And, and so Chevy Chase sees it and he kind of like shakes his head like in a like, you know, almost like a Looney Tunes, like, like, like what am yeah. I seeing? <laughs> um, so you have that moment early on. And I think that's just supposed to be everything so crazy that he's like kind of imagining that that might be the okay. case. But at the very, I forgot about this, but at the very end when the judge is on camera, it's there again. Now you could maybe claim that maybe Chevy Chase is once again imagining the look, but they do apparently use it twice. It's at one moment in the dinner scene, no other point in the dinner scene though. And then when I he's never on even camera at it. the end. Yeah, if you uh I don't know if you still have access to it or whatever, Steve, but yeah, like I they, do. It's something that's like circulated on the internet before. I never noticed as a kid, but yeah, they absolutely made a sculpt that is supposed to look like the head of a dick. Like it just <laughs> and I like that it's just like you could you could sit on your couch for days and not know that you were there for days just thinking about like why 
Like, why did you do that? Why did you make a dick nose? What's, what's the payoff here? There's a lot that would make me sit on my couch for days and just think about this movie. Like I'm looking at, as you guys were talking, I was like looking at set photos and like uh, promotional photos. And there are a lot of ones of just Bobo and Lil Devil. And I don't really know what to think anymore. <laughs> my whole concept of all my, all my like concepts of reality are shaken. And there's like, there's like that weird scene too, where Demi Moore and uh, Chevy Chase are like smoking cigars in the attic for some reason, like hanging out. I remember that part where yeah, they're just yeah. kind of, there's so many, there's so many like weird tone shifts where it's just like, I be, and I think part of it is because Chevy Chase was like, and Dan Aykroyd was on board for this too, that they were like, we need to like improvise as much as we can in this movie. And this is one of those movies where, and I know comedy is largely based on that these days. Like a lot of comedic films are based on like improv improvisation, but like, this is not one where I think that would have worked where it was just like, I don't know. You're sitting in the attic smoking a cigar now. And I think too, like, as you guys were talking, I was thinking like the thing that like upsets me the most about this movie or is the most revealing is that I think that this movie showed that like, not that I don't think they could have made good stuff past this, but I feel like this movie kind of showed that like, I think like the talent in this was like a relic it was it, because like the comedy of the nineties became something completely different. Yeah. Um, and it became so quickly. And I felt, I feel like watching this movie, if this movie came out in like 1985, I think it may have been a hit. I honestly think like it yeah. might have been better, but there's something about like all of a sudden in the nineties, like people aren't looking for this type of comedy. And I don't know if like the comedic sentiments of Dan Aykroyd and Chevy chase, worked anymore i i don't know if like i feel like dan Aykroyd wasn't like some of these guys weren't able to like adjust to the times and i feel like this was the one of the big signs that like hollywood hollywood and people's tastes for comedy changed and i don't think and these guys like couldn't match it and see and, and like come up with something that like went beyond what they were making in like the in the 80s and stuff i i mean that that's like what I felt that I was watching. I was like, man, like this is such a like, this is definitely like a Dan Aykroyd Chevy Chase movie, but it's just not what people yeah. would have wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you're right because like you, you early in the '90s, you start getting the like Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, where your heroes are no longer like reliable narrators who are funny, sarcastic people that you look up to, like you get in Ghostbusters or Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you get like Billy Madison, who's just like a fucking loser, who's like really ridiculous and over the top, or Happy Gilmore, who is just like a failed hockey player who happens to be able to like drive the ball 300 yards. You get uh, Ace Ventura, you get The Mask. So like- Wayne's the, World. Wayne's World, yeah. You, like, you get completely different versions of like who the heroes become of these comedies. And so it completely shifts like the type of comedies you're going to get uh real quick i did in the like chat area share a link that is for the nose if you both want to consult it steve especially oh, it's i will be looking i will be looking at this after okay well i would prefer you I, to see it now are you able to click or not or what uh, not? uh yeah here hold on i think it's i think it's worth discussing yeah let me see dick, let me see the dick nose here the 16 oh good the 16 most traumatic things about nothing but trouble <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a dick nose. Oh yeah, there it yeah. is. Yep. 
But if you look at other shots in the movie when it's from the side and stuff, it's clearly a different like design. So they yeah. did it to be like a joke in the movie. But again, oh my why? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like why? <laughs> and then there's John. Ca- yeah, and, and then there's like a lot of many of these are the uh, are photos of John Candy and drag. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is very. Oh yeah, the pit where they fall into like a bunch of squeaky toys. That sort of makes no sense. Tupac Shakur's uh, Shakur's acting debut. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, this is very terrifying. Yep. This will haunt me. Um, this is also the only movie that Dan Aykroyd ever directed. And, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you could look at that and go, "Yeah, that tracks." <laughs> we should uh, reach out to Luis uh, Peitzman from BuzzFeed to see if he wants to uh, further discuss this film. No, I don't know. He's probably. I, I would assume after publishing this, he's like, I, I could never in a million years think about this movie ever again. <laughs> I'm just uh, noticing now that Fabs has named himself Bobo for the purposes of this. Uh, oh yeah, I always name like something from from the movies. Yeah. Um, all right. So what are uh, what are some f- final thoughts, and uh, then we will we will put this movie into the ground. <laughs> Um, Should we rec- do we recommend people watch this? We usually yeah yeah. I, see it I don't know time. if we've ever had a movie where we. I don't think we've ever had a movie where we've been like, don't watch this. No, uh, see I'll, it, I'll say see it one time. Well, go go ahead, Fitz. Oh yeah, I was just say see it see it one time. It's like it's not good. Like it's legit. It's just like legitimately not a good movie. But it's really strange. Maybe maybe add this to your like Halloween. Um, like when you get to October, if you like are really sick of some like horror movies you watch every year and you're trying to find something that's like a, a Tuesday night, like kill some time before you go to bed. Maybe this will do the trick. It's, it's one of the weirdest movies like you'll ever watch in your life though. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I would definitely fall on the side of saying that this is not a good movie and I don't think I've ever, even as a kid, because you just kind of watch whatever as a kid, but you know, I grew up like, oh, I love Ghostbusters. I love Back to the Future. So I never loved this. It was just kind of like, that movie's weird. As an adult, like watching it, I mean, it's even weirder than you recognize as a kid. But I like at its core, I do kind of still like this movie. It is a train wreck. It is awful. But like, <laughs> it's so interesting to watch. Like it there is. are so many right. more boring movies out. Like I've seen so many bad, boring movies or where I just don't care. And I just checked out, but this movie keeps my attention from start to finish. <laughs> and, uh, and like, no matter said, how hard I try to look away. And, well, and like, there's a lot of effort being put into it in so many bad and weird directions. And again, if it was like, if they just got the jokes, if they just made it funny, it would click and it would work. So, I would by no means say it's good. I would say it's worth watching just because of how bizarre it is and because you've never seen anything remotely like it. Well, and real quick before uh, you go, Steve, that's a really good point that like in spite of how bad the movie is, if you watch it with some friends who have also never seen it, what's cool about it, it will provide like an inside joke for you guys. And it will be something you talk about beyond the, like you're right, Lynn. There are so many bad movies that like I just straight up have forgotten forever. But this yep. movie is like a different type of bad where it's so interesting and goddamn weird that you and your friends, when you watch this film, get drunk if you want, uh, maybe 
get uh, have some weed, like so it's a more enjoyable experience. But this will be something that you guys remember and an experience you can have. Uh, maybe do a Zoom party and you guys can all watch this movie and react together like a mystery science theater. Um, but this movie is great because it is something you will never forget. Yeah, it's like the same. Like I, it, it, I actually think it would serve really well becoming like uh, one of those like cult movies that gets shown at like you know art house theaters where crowd like big crowds can go and like goof on it the whole time um, because it's it's definitely in that vein of like the trolls the troll twos of the world. It's not as <laughs> agree. It's not like as like insanely bad as that, but like it's one of those movies that like is very it's meant to be like goofed on and I'm just imagining a Rocky horror picture show type thing where everyone's dressed as the characters and performing. And I'm imagining the, the Bobo and little devils that show. <laughs> <laughs> and like people in like prosthetic penis noses and that kind of thing. Like it works. It works. Um, I agree. Yeah, I think that like, yeah, it's well, they would, they would have to throw, throw wieners at the screen, uh, just like in Rocky horror, uh, yep. during the dinner scene. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everybody would be drinking like cans of Hawaiian punch. Like it, it would work. It would be very. Everyone fun. brings their squeaky toys. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think it like uh, it definitely would work in that regard. I think if like the other thing too is like if you're a completist of like either you know comedies or of the careers of like a Chevy Chase or John, especially John Candy, like as as like low on the totem pole as like this role would be for him. Like I do think there are there are tiny bits and pieces for each of these care, each of these actors that like are genuinely good. Like there are bits that I like in it and um, there are things in general to like about the movie. I mean, I think like from like a horror perspective, the makeup and visual aspects are like really freaking good. Like, like very underrated from a horrifying perspective, the Bobo and little devil will haunt my dreams forever. And like they are good, like they're just like the makeup works fantastic, and that's probably where like thirty million dollars went. And I, I think like you're right, like there is a lot of value to a movie being so bad that it's fun. And this this falls into that that camp. Even though I was even though I was desperately hoping that the movie would end, I feel like <laughs> I feel like in like a context of like, hey, I'm gonna sit around and get drunk with some friends and watch a movie like you could do a lot worse and it would be there's still stuff to like enjoy about it so like yeah if you haven't seen it please do because you'll never forget it and it's official i'm buying it on dvd because it doesn't exist on (laughs) (laughs) blu-ray and never will (laughs) oh god um all right that's uh that is nothing but trouble please go watch it Make sure to follow us as well on uh, your preferred social channel, Revenge of 90s Pod. Check out robotbutt.com for all of your comedic needs, and we will see you later. Bye. Hey, everybody, just jumping back in here to close out the episode. So, as we always do, can I find this? So, this movie is available on DVD, as I mentioned in the episode. I bought it uh, last year. But, surprising to myself, to everyone else on the episode, to the rest of the planet, Nothing But Trouble is now available on Blu ray or will be very shortly. It's uh, coming out, uh, I think, uh, mid to late October. I have my pre order in. 
Uh, so look for Nothing But Trouble on Blu-ray. I think it has some, uh, like, a Dan Aykroyd interview and some other stuff with it. It's, uh, like, one of those, you know, more collector kind of things from a specialty press. So look for that. Um, it's good Halloween watching. Um, and then also it is out there on numerous streaming platforms, despite, you know, the movie being really bad and uh, despite uh, it not being, like, particularly successful or popular. It's anywhere you want to watch it, basically. Apple TV, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, uh, Microsoft, Redbox Online, whatever they call that, DirecTV, and looks like there's a few others, and those are just the ones that are popping up immediately for me. So uh, there's probably multiples other other ones out there. You might be able to find it in full on a Vimeo or some other place for free. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you are able to track down Nothing But Trouble pretty easily, so uh, go do that. All right, past that, we are looking at another terrible film for our uh, next entry here. We're going to be looking at The Garbage Pale Kids Movie, which is uh, another notorious and bad film, which I, I would say is, is much worse uh, in, in many ways than Nothing But Trouble. F- far less entertaining than Nothing But Trouble. But we'll be looking at that, The Garbage Pale Kids Movie, and after that, we launch officially into our Halloween slate of films. So we're going to be doing numerous films throughout the month of October, all tied into Halloween viewing. All right, so uh, I'll see you then.